life's changing around me and I'm gonna make it mine. I'm reaching out and living by my rules. Time's moving way too fast. I wanna make it last. Cause I'm out on my own now. And I like the way it feels. Welcome to Sup media reviews the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic tv shows and films that you've probably already seen i'm your host kiara and each week i'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and tv shows from at least 20 years ago from cult classics to forgotten gems i'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Sup Media Reviews. I'm Kiara, and I'm so excited to review the 1996 to 2003 television series, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, featuring Melissa Joan Hart as Sabrina Spellman, Beth Broderick as Aunt Zelda, Caroline Ray as Aunt Hilda, and Nick Bacay as the voice of Salem. As we are approaching spooky season, I am going to get into like the spooky or Halloween slight horror because I am not a horror person. Like the horror genre is very frightening to me. (laughs) Just kind of as a person who takes things to heart quite a bit and wears my heart on my sleeve. I don't like being frightened. I don't really like being scared. So when it comes to the type of horror movies that I'm going to be reviewing as we approach the Halloween season are going to be very light. And that's why Sabrina the Teenage Witch is a part of it. Like witches, Halloween, but it's still very light, funny, and not really scary at all. So that really is kind of my threshold for Halloween stuff. So <laughs> just know that that's what's coming down the pipeline as we get closer to October 31st. So as an adult, I learned that Sabrina the Teenage Witch was actually based on the Archie comic series of the same name. I did read a few Archie comics as a child, but they were more, was it Jughead? or actually Archie himself. I can't remember exactly. But as a child, I loved Melissa Joan Hart and really enjoyed the show as a kid, especially as a part of the TGIF lineup on ABC. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of the review, here are a few fun facts about the show. Melissa Joan Hart didn't have to audition for the role of Sabrina Spellman, and there were no other actresses considered, as her mother Paula was a producer of the show and actually owned the rights to Archie Comics adaptations. I had no idea about this. It's kind of cool and also nepotism. So let's move on. (laughs) The second fun fact is that the animatronic cat is the one that was previously used in Hocus Pocus, which came out in 1993. And yes, I will be reviewing Hocus Pocus during the spooky season. So that's pretty cool. Also, I hate animatronics. 
I don't know if you all have recognized that. Like there have been a few movies I reviewed that had animatronic animals. Like Sandlot had the animatronic dog. The Terminator had a bunch of animatronic stuff in it too. I just can't stand it. It's never done well and it's very characters at Chuck E. Cheese. I hate them. But I do think it's cool that they kind of reuse something that already existed from a movie that a lot of us love. And the third fun fact is that Melissa Joan Hart was nearly fired from the show in its fourth season. She'd done a photo shoot for Maxim Magazine to promote her movie Drive Me Crazy, but the magazine had advertised Sabrina posing rather than Melissa. She had previously signed a contract with Archie Comics that she would never portray Sabrina naked or in a sexual fashion, and they were famously protective of their wholesome brand. Despite playing a teenager, the actress was also 23 years old at that point. I did not hear about this drama. I do not remember this drama when the show was in its fourth season, which would have been around the year 2000. When it comes down to it, I don't know that I was really paying attention to any kind of tabloid stuff at that point. I was only 10 years old, but I feel like Melissa Joan Hart has pretty much kept a pretty clean kind of record and like not a lot of scandals or whatever. So I was actually shocked to kind of learn this fun fact. I had always imagined her as a kind of low profile child star. If you want to check out Sabrina the Teenage Witch, you can watch it on Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, and Paramount Plus as of the recording of this episode. So let's talk about my personal connection to this show. I was actually a big fan of Melissa Joan Hart as a kid. I remember her from Clarissa Explains It All on Nickelodeon, and I always admired her career. I'm also low-key into mystical powers, which sounds weird considering how I really don't like the horror genre. I feel like mystical powers, witchiness or casting spells, that type of stuff can apply in a bunch of different contexts and it doesn't necessarily have to be horror. And I feel like Sabrina the Teenage Witch allows me to like explore the mysticism of what like what it means to be a witch without having to be frightened or scared. (laughs) So it was a good balance for me as a child. I also thought it was pretty cool that like a teenager could learn that they were a witch and have to navigate that new realization along with the other things that go along with being a teenager, managing school, your social life, all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was pretty neat. One of my favorite elements of the show actually was Harvey, y'all. I thought Harvey, who was kind of like Sabrina's main love interest throughout the show, he kind of came and went at certain points, but he was portrayed by Nick Reichert. I thought he was so cute. Like Harvey was just so cute to me. I feel like other people thought so as well. Something about those earrings, y'all. The little cartilage earrings. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I feel like I'm not alone in this and it's actually a little hard to explain, but I just thought Harvey was so great. And he, even though his character to me came across like a little ditzy, he always seemed like just a really sweet guy who had a pretty good moral compass. I also thought it was pretty neat that Sabrina in the show was being raised by her aunts. These two aunts had different personalities and one of them was like a little chubby and fun like me. And then the other one had this super raspy voice and she was really smart. And I thought both of them were cool kind of in their own ways. I also thought Salem was pretty cool. Like 
a talking cat that has a penchant for getting into trouble and trying to take over the world is like pretty neat. But they also had a magical linen closet. They had a unique take of like what it means to be a witch and also all of the rules that go along with it. For some people who think about witches, they kind of think it's a free for all. Being a witch feel more structured and having like basically a teenager navigate what it means to have rules for these new powers. It's actually an interesting concept. So they also had a really nice house. They had like a big, I don't know the name of the style of the house. The show took place around Boston, but it was a very big kind of like old school Boston structured house. It had like quirky decorations. I thought that was pretty neat. And the storylines were were pretty decent. So when I was younger, I really enjoyed it. So if you had a personal connection to Sabrina the Teenage Witch back in the 90s and early 2000s, let me know. Tell me in the comments on YouTube or let us know on our other social media platforms like Instagram or Facebook. So I'm super excited to dive into Sabrina the Teenage Witch. First, I'm going to do a quick overview of the show and the main characters, and then we'll do a deep dive into two iconic episodes. In Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Melissa Joan Hart portrays Sabrina Spellman, who finds out on her 16th birthday that she has magical powers. She lives with her 500-year-old aunts, Hilda and Zelda, and their magical talking cat, Salem, in the fictional town of Westbridge, Massachusetts. Throughout the show, we follow Sabrina as she learns to harness her power, learns the rules of magic, and goes from being a teen to a young adult. Here's a quick breakdown of the main characters. Sabrina Spellman, played by Melissa Joan Hart, is the main character that learned she comes from a long line of witches. Throughout the show, Sabrina struggles with how to manage her powers on top of all that life has in store for a teen girl, including romance and other growing pains. Hilda Spellman, played by Caroline Rant, is one of Sabrina's aunts slash guardians. Hilda is impulsive, a little thick in more ways than one, and is who I would consider to be the fun aunt. She doesn't really take things very seriously, and she eventually goes on to own a couple of businesses in the show and is low-key my favorite aunt. She provided a lot of comic relief. Zelda Spellman, played by Beth Broderick, is the second of Sabrina's aunt slash guardians. She's a super smart scientist and college professor. She has this really cool cool rasp to her voice that I always thought was really beautiful. And she's low-key kind of a stick in the mud. She plays the straight woman, basically. She's a lot more focused on following the rules and has to really get Sabrina and Hilda back in line and cover for them when they use magic irresponsibly. Interestingly enough, I can see a bit of myself in both aunts, like Aunt Hilda being kind of fun and a little chubby, and then Aunt Zelda being like, oh, I like to follow the rules a little bit and I have to take responsibility when other people mess up. So <laughs> I could actually see myself in both aunts, which is kind of weird because they really played up the differences between the two. Next up, we have Salem Saberhagen, voiced by Nick Bacay. He's a 500-year-old male witch turned into a talking black cat because of his plans for world domination. Salem always came across to me as very mischievous and really focused on trying to turn back human. He's the kind of character that you hate to love because he's funny and like a little bit harmless, but he's also a crazy man who tried to take over the world. So Salem was like a comic relief in the show. And I thought it was kind of cool that they had a talking animal. Like witches are known to have familiars. And I guess that's what he was to the family. 
Next up, one of my faves on the show is Harvey Kinkle, played by Nick Reichert. It's Sabrina's high school boyfriend for the first four years in the show. Harvey was just very cute to me, y'all. Those earrings, I just can't. But Harvey came across to me as like a little ditzy and was often caught in the crosshairs of some magical shenanigans with Sabrina. Sabrina and Harvey actually break up at a point during the show, but in the end, they run off together, having been revealed to be soulmates. So they did eventually get a happy ending ending, which I'm very happy about. Another character that I remember a lot is Libby Chesler, played by Jenna Lee Green. She's Sabrina's arch nemesis in high school. And I remember her being like a really good villain in the show for the first three seasons. And she was actually always on Harvey, like wanting to be with Harvey and Harvey just kind of ignored her. So she is one of the villains that kind of always got her comeuppance and was always kind of on Sabrina and calling her a freak because of how weird Sabrina was. We also have another kind of villain in the show that I remember quite fondly, Mr. Willard Kraft, played by Martin Mull, who was the head teacher of Sabrina's high school and actually ended up dating both aunts Hilda and Zelda. He was really on Sabrina's case about all the weird stuff that was going on with her. But come to find out, every romantic interest that he's had in this show actually used magic on him. This man is literally a magic trick. <laughs> But he was one of those annoying kind of teachers. And because he got to see Sabrina at school and at home, he was exposed to a lot more of what was going on. And he was like a victim of a lot of the shenanigans as well. There are tons of other characters as well. We have Jenny and Valerie, who were Sabrina's friends for a season each. The quiz master, who helped Sabrina get her witch's license. There's Josh, who was like a love interest later on in the show when they were in college years. We have Brad, the witch hunter. We also have Dreama, the really bad magic student. We also have Roxy, Morgan, and Miles, who were three friends slash housemates of Sabrina while she was in college. So that really kind of wraps it up for all of the characters in the show. I'm super eager to talk about this first episode. So the first episode that I'm choosing to review is season two, episode seven, entitled A River of Candy Corn Runs Through It. So I chose this episode because it was on the list of the top 10 episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And it's actually one of the ones that I remember from my childhood. I feel like this particular episode is a great depiction of how leading a double life as a regular kid and a witch was super hectic for Sabrina. It's also a Halloween episode, which are pretty special in the show because of course the witchy element. So I feel like this episode really embodies the spirit of the show. And that's why I chose it. So when this particular episode opens, the set and the camera quality are still kind of low. I find that a lot of shows have really bad set and <laughs> sets and camera qualities in their first and maybe second seasons because they're still kind of proving themselves when it comes to popularity. It does improve over time, but it's one of the first things that I noticed. Again, I love their house. It was big and witchy and like very Boston-ish. And they are all, everyone in the house, Sabrina and her aunts are looking forward to a quiet Halloween with no family visits. And they get a delivery of furniture that falls into the living room magically, just like from the ceiling, just falls down. So that's the start of the show. And then the intro and like theme song of the show plays where she's like in front of a mirror changing outfits magically. 
And she usually changes into like four outfits. And then the fifth outfit has something to do with the actual show. And she says like a little quippy line. I actually really like that intro because one of the dresses that she wore that she kind of changed into, I was like, girl, that dress is fantastic. <laughs> In the next scene, Sabrina and her season two best friend Valerie are pining over the school jocks when Libby, Sabrina's arch nemesis, goes over and invites the cool boys to her Halloween party. Libby thinks that Sabrina and Valerie are freaks and is pretty loud about it and it's like they're not invited because my party will be freakless, okay? So with Sabrina, the whole situation is like water off a duck's back, okay? She doesn't pay Libby any mind and one of the only funny moments I found in this show was Sabrina saying, you know, I basically don't care what Libby has to say because these will be the best years of her life in high school. <laughs> Y'all, there are so many people who were popping in high school that ain't doing nothing now. I doubt that I have listeners that are young enough to hear and heed what I'm saying, but I feel like if you're old enough and you're under the sound of my voice right now, you know what I'm talking about. I just thought that was very funny. So when Sabrina walks away from Valerie, Valerie gets some gumption and she makes up an utter lie about how Sabrina is hosting a Halloween party. She's all loud and whatnot and basically saying that Sabrina is going to be throwing a party at the same time Libby is. And now people have to decide which party is better. This is a timeless and classic kind of element of children's shows or shows that take place during high school. Off the top of my head, I know that That's a Raven had something similar when the girl from Xenon was, <laughs> was on the show. It's a very popular kind of it's not a trope, just a very popular theme for a show for kids who are in like high school age. So when Harvey hears that Sabrina is throwing a party, Harvey kind of feels surprised. He was like, Sabrina said that she would never throw a party. And now Valerie starts to feel bad because without Sabrina's permission, she has basically opened the door for people to ask Sabrina about this party that Sabrina has no idea about. So it's at this point where I'm like starting to remember that Valerie was kind of an annoying friend. I actually didn't really like her character and I'm glad that she only hung around for one season. But Harvey sees Sabrina at lunch and he's like, I'm super excited about the party. And so that's when Sabrina first hears about the party and Valerie tries to walk it back. But Sabrina being the kind witch that she is doesn't want Valerie to be embarrassed by having to walk back this lie that she made up that she's like, I just have to ask my aunt. That's, you know, the only reason why she's hesitant to say if we're having a party or not. So Sabrina takes the lead from Valerie and goes to ask her aunts for permission. So Aunt Hilda and Aunt Zelda are down. They want her to have a party. They want her to be normal. The aunts say like, we'll be here to make sure we don't have witchy stuff happening. And we want you know you to have like a social life or whatever. So I was surprised they were down. They said yes, like right away. Sabrina even comes around to the idea. So she starts putting up decorations and putting out snacks and Salem's over there eating the snacks and whatnot. He shows up a little bit in this show and Harvey calls. This is the day of the party to say that he has to take his little brother and his friends trick or treating and he can't make it to the party, uh, which is very upsetting for Sabrina. Personally, if my boyfriend was like, I can't make it to the party, I would probably cancel the party. Only reason I'm throwing the party is so we can hang out. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> personally. <laughs> but there's no way in high school that I had a boyfriend that I could invite over for a party, let alone throw a party at my house. Like that was virtually out of the question. Not totally, but virtually. So when Sabrina gets this news, they're in the kitchen, but they hear some noise coming from the living room and they enter the living room to find that the furniture is talking. The couch is a dad and there are two kind of side chairs. One is a mom and one is like a really snippy, quippy son. So the couches have personalities and feelings and Zelda tries magic to return the furniture and like kind of zap it back to the store because they received the wrong order. But because they paid with a credit card, they can't zap away the couch until it's paid off. And I'm like, that's only half logical. Because if you're paying for something, I don't care what you do with it. Give it away, throw it away. As long as you keep paying me, like it's cool. But I guess the couch is collateral for the credit card, for the payments. I don't freaking know. So the aunts decide to go back to the store to correct the mistake and get the correct furniture. But the store is closed in the other realm because it's Halloween. It's like a freaking holiday, okay? So that doesn't work. The furniture is actually quite annoying. The couch is allergic to cats. It's a lot of animatronic stuff going on. Again, don't like animatronics, but... The furniture also has something called Other Realm Termites. I didn't talk about this very much, but there is a magical witchy realm that they have access to in their house through the linen closet. Throughout the show, they spend quite a bit of time there, but there are some things that exist in the other realm that don't exist in the human realm. And because this furniture came from the other realm, it also came with other realm termites, which when you look at them under a magnifying glass, they just look like little humans chewing on stick-like things. It's kind of ridiculous. So because they have the other realm termites, the furniture is like being eaten and won't shut up and it's itching and all that stuff. So it's really going to pose a problem. Okay. So Valerie arrives to the house in a chicken costume and Harvey takes his brother and a bunch of other kids trick or treating. And these little kids basically rob this little old lady of all of her candy. <laughs> Some bad kids. So the aunts come up with the plan while Valerie's indisposed. They confine the termites to the basement somehow and are going to give the termites old furniture to eat until they can figure out how to return the talking furniture. So the party guest arrives. Nobody is in costume. Everyone is really wearing their own clothing. And Valerie's embarrassed that she's in a hideous duck costume while everybody else is dressed in street clothes. So turns out she is sewn into the costume. <laughs> Yes, Valerie just annoyed the mess out of me. She got Sabrina into this huge mess where she has mortals inside her witchy house. And now she's showing up being whiny because she wore not even like a cute, like low-key sexy costume like people like to do on Halloween. She's annoying to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we flip back to Harvey real quick. He's getting egged by the kids that he is chaperoning. How did the kids get eggs and he not know it? I don't know. But we go back to Sabrina. Sabrina comes downstairs to find boring music playing and the guests not having a good time. Like their party is not off to a good start. The aunts who were making a cauldron of candy corn messed up the recipe and now they're making like infinite candy corn. Now I'm going to pause here real quick because I 
freaking love candy corn. I cannot have a lot of it. I'll say like there's only so much that I can have in one sitting. But candy corn is the freaking best. And if you disagree, you're wrong. Okay, argue with your mama. <laughs> Over here at Sub Media Reviews, we love candy corn, okay? So yeah, they're making infinite amount of candy corn. And because it's magic and witchy, they can't really stop this process of candy corn coming out of this cauldron. So Val comes downstairs claiming that she heard a doorbell in the linen closet. And she actually did. Valerie says that she was confused and she thought she was losing it. But again, the linen closet is their kind of portal to get to the other realm. And so Aunt Hilda goes upstairs, opens the door to find very poorly costumed monster Halloween carolers who come to serenade the family. They start singing a song called the 12,000 Days of Halloween. So you know the song is going to take forever. So Sabrina convinces Val to stay at the party, even though she's having a hard time getting over her emotions of being dressed as a chicken and the only person in the costume, really. And then the real doorbell rings. And instead of more kids, it is the quiz master who shows up to give her a quiz to prepare for her witch's license. The quiz master is played by Alimi Ballard. He actually was like a bright spot in the show. I actually remember him quite fondly, but he comes onto the show to help her prepare to get her witch's license kind of around the same time that a young person would get their driver's license. So this is another element of the show to kind of highlight what type of rules were in place for witches and also to show that while she is studying and, you know, getting her education in school, she also has to do something similar for being a witch. So again, showing these parallels in her life. So this whole time, Zelda has been carrying wooden furniture down to the basement to keep the termites satiated and away from the talking furniture that's in the living room at the party. So Hilda has to bribe the carolers with candy corn so that they'll stop singing this long song, but the party is going down the drain. Sabrina is about to end the party when the cool guys actually show up. Now remember, Libby invited the cool guys to her party and somehow they made it to Sabrina's. Kind of no real explanation. Unfortunately, the party is just not jumping off at all. They try to get the party going, but the termites, the other realm termites, have spread so bad that the stereo doesn't work anymore. Don't know how that happened. But the cool guys are like, Livy has a DJ. Maybe we should all head to her party. And so Valerie is like, no, y'all need to stay here. We can dance. And while she's dancing, she falls through the floor because of the termite damage. I've never been happier to see someone fall through the floor. Valerie's just getting on my nerves. I don't know. I have no idea. She was just getting on my nerves. <laughs> but unfortunately, now the furniture is moving and talking because they're under attack by the termites. So now this kind of magical thing is happening in front of a room full of teenage mortals. And Sabrina kind of freaks out for a little bit, okay? Then the carolers come in and they're horrible monster costumes and then a mountain of candy corn comes in from the next room and so the main cool guy his name is asher 
is like, oh my gosh, how did you get all of these cool special effects going? Okay, like first off, I love candy corn. Second off, everybody does like the little bowl of grapes for the brains or whatever, but you have talking furniture. You got a river of candy corn. You got these scary monster people here. Like this is neat. This is actually really cool. And so Sabrina, goes over to Salem and she's like, these mortals are a little silly. They don't even know this is actual real witchy stuff. They think it's something that I set up, you know, so that they would be afraid or amused or whatever. And so Salem kind of takes advantage of this and Salem is starts talking to everyone. And he's like, I want you guys to accept me as your leader, <laughs> which he's back on his world domination ish. So Salem calls Asher a loser when Asher tries to get Salem to say his name. <laughs> that was actually pretty funny. Asher is talking to Salem as if Salem is like a fake talking cat. And Asher's like, say Asher, can you say Asher? And Salem is like, loser? <laughs> that was actually probably one of the funniest parts of the show. It was so funny to me. So Asher basically approves of this now cool party and the termites end up being eradicated by one of the Halloween carolers who eats them. And then Harvey, I guess after he was done chaperoning those bad kids from house to house, he shows up again with those earrings looking fabulous. Okay. He was also wearing a blanket it's like one of those things like at the end of a show when like the ambulance and the police are there and like all the danger is over and all of the victims or whatever are wearing blankets. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it was supposed to show how traumatized he was from being with kids that egged him and kids that didn't know how to act and all that kind of stuff. It was a little dramatic for me, but y'all those earrings. <laughs> and then this band shows up out of nowhere. So Sabrina does the magical flick of her finger. Nobody calls her on this. Nobody questions her on this. Now the animatronic furniture, you can rig that. Okay. The river of candy corn. Sure. Rig it. You can rig it. But flicking your finger and a door opening and a band of like seven people. I don't know how many people are in this band, but at least seven people are in this band with instruments. We didn't hear nothing coming from that room. That's the same room that the candy corn came from. This door magically opens and behind the door is the band 10,000 Maniacs. Who are these people? <laughs> I looked them up and they're actually like a legit band with like nine albums. And I tried to look and see if I knew any of their songs. Absolutely not. They were like, so by the time this episode aired, it would have been 97-ish. And I was only seven years old, but I'm pretty musically inclined or like I listen to different types of music, but I've never heard of this band. I don't even think I've heard of any of their songs. Do you know who 10,000 Maniacs are? Because I did not. But everyone at the party seemed really excited that there was a professional band playing here that Sabrina was able to procure out of thin air. Nobody asked her about it. Nobody asked her, girl, you flicked your finger and that door opened and some people who were not there before are there. I don't know if she can rig that. People are giving her too much credit. <laughs> but this show makes you suspend your disbelief all the time. So we're going to move on. 
while the 10,000 maniacs are performing, we find out that the quiz master didn't really come by for a quiz. He's just lonely on the holidays because he actually has to work on Halloween instead of having the day off like most people who are a part of the witchy community. Libby actually shows up to the party and Asher is like, Libby's party was over hours ago when a bunch of kids egged her house. And so Harvey has a suspicious look on his face and looks like the house that the kids he was chaperoning they were egging was Libby's house, which is hilarious. If Harvey had anything to do with that, that is funny. So all of the kids have fun rocking out to this unknown band and Sabrina has a reputation for throwing a great Halloween party. She gets to hang out with mortals and because it's Halloween, they are none the wiser that she's actually a magical individual living in a magical house with magical furniture. So that's it for this episode. It incorporated a lot of the kinds of shenanigans that Sabrina faces quite a bit on the show. It's a merging of both the mortal and magical worlds for her. Her aunts have her back. She manages friendships, rivalries, the quiz master, and magical foolery like all in one night. She ends up coming out victorious with her dummy mortal friends being none the wiser. So <laughs> that comes up often in the show. So one thing that surprised me a little was how cheap some of the laughs are. I didn't find myself laughing a whole bunch. There were maybe two or three moments where I was like, that is funny, okay, to me. But the one kind of main joke that was the funniest to me was Salem calling Asher loser. That was hilarious. And I find that Salem, from my memory, was often a lot of the comic relief in the show. But overall, besides those few moments, I don't think that the humor translates well today. In this episode, I was still entertained and I felt like they fit a lot into 22 minutes. So the story was decent. It's just that the humor just really didn't translate to today for me. So the second and last episode that I'm going to review is from season six, episode one called Really Big Season Opener. Now this episode sticks out in my mind because of the guest star. The guest star is a member of my favorite R&B group of all time, Cisco from Drew Hill, okay? Many people only know Cisco from the smash hit, The Thong Song. That thong, the thong, the thong said I. <laughs> But years before Cisco went solo, for those of you who don't know, he had a number of years as one of the main singers of the R&B group Drew Hill. Back in the day, I completely wore out their greatest hit CDs. Songs like Tell Me, In My Bed, Beauty, Five Steps, they are all R&B classics that I absolutely love. I also want to say that it's a little hard to find racial diversity on the show, just a little. So it was nice to see some racial diversity as a part of this particular episode. So this one is actually one that I remember from my childhood and it's pretty funny. So let's dive in. This time around, it's season six, and Sabrina is about 22 years old and in college. The show opens to reveal Sabrina with long blonde hair, which for whatever reason, I kind of wasn't expecting. I don't remember her having many hair changes, but her having long hair ages her a little bit more than I think it should have. I actually didn't like it on her. But Sabrina is asking her aunts to borrow their sarcophagus for a student film that Miles is making and that she's going to be producing. So the aunts want to be in the movie. 
I don't know why they want to be in this cheap little college film, but whatever. The aunts, however, get a letter in the toaster stating that Zelda and Hilda have been assigned to scare duty, where they have to teach younger witches how to scare people, similar to jury duty. Aunt Hilda, by this time, has gained a little weight, but she still looks lovely. And as a chubby woman myself, like I stand a thick lady. She's beautiful. So <laughs> next up, we see the theme song and the opening sequence. And this time around, there's an actual theme song with lyrics. And it has been updated to reflect that she is no longer in high school and no longer really a teenager. So even though the show is called Serena the Teenage Witch, by the time this season comes around, she hasn't been a teenager for like three years. So I think that this theme song was that's showing her in like different locations and out on the town and dancing, even in some like revealing clothing, it shows that she's not a teenager anymore. So we get back to the episode and there's a brief conversation that happens with Sabrina and her housemates. We see Roxy, who is played by Soleil Moonfry, who doesn't want anything to do with the film. Okay, she's not into it. Then we have Miles, who is played by Trevor Lesore. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name, y'all. He is the nerd that's actually making the film and the only male housemate of the crew. And then there is Morgan, who's played by Elisa Donovan. And she's just really excited to play a cheerleader in the film. She's pretty gung-ho about it. And she is the head cheerleader in this film. So Miles and Sabrina, as both the writer and producer of the film, respectively, conduct some auditions. Roxy kind of auditions ironically and gets the part. Then they hold auditions for the main villain. And the auditions go poorly because none of the actors actually embody a real vampire. And Sabrina, because she's part of that witchy life, she knows what real vampires are actually like. So they decide to put an ad in the paper to find a starving actor who can play a vampire for exposure as opposed to money and won't eat up their $59 budget. We have iPhones now, Androids that have really good quality cameras, but this took place about 2002. This would have come out in, I think around 2002. I know it's over 20 years ago, but it feels impossible to make a film with $59. <laughs> I don't know, $59? Dang, it costs more to do a single podcast episode here. They made a film for $59? Uh-uh. Whatever. That was hilarious to me. But we go back to Aunt Hilda and Zelda. They find this kind of scare duty loophole where if they can teach the class how to scare in one session, they won't have to do scare duty ever again. So they get really excited about this because they want to finish scare duty early so that they can be a part of the film that Sabrina is producing. Again, not 100% sure on why they are so gung-ho about this. Maybe because they knew Shakespeare and they think they know how to act. I don't know, or they've been acting like humans for years and feel like they would be good for the part. Or just some people want to be filmed and memorialized. Now that I'm thinking about it, because we have social media and because a lot of our lives are shown in videos and pictures throughout the interweb, maybe it's less special to be a part of something like that. Back in 2002, when there really was no real kind of social media, being a part of even like a cheesy college film felt like you were being memorialized because you weren't doing it on social media. It wasn't readily available for you to share yourself in that way. 
So maybe it does make sense that they would want to be a part of a cheesy college film. So while Zelda and Hilda are getting ready for scare duty, there's some banter that happens between Hilda and Salem. Salem has been on Hilda's nerves <laughs> for the whole show. And for the second time in this episode, Zelda zaps Salem onto a bicycle and rolls him into traffic. That was actually very funny to me. <laughs> Salem is quite annoying. So because he's animatronic, they depict animal abuse a lot more than they should in this show but it's funny it's funny because Salem really deserves it because of how like snippy and sarcastic he is he just gets on their nerves so bad so we go back to Miles and Sabrina by this point they have put an ad in the paper and the ad says desperately seeking vampire I don't know how time works in this episode this came across to me as if it kind of happened on the same day but there's no way they put an ad in the paper and expected it to get results that fast I don't know I don't understand what the timeline is but anyways they put the ad in the paper Sabrina's getting ready to leave some scripts on the porch for the actors to come and audition, but she gets startled when she opens the door to find Cisco! Yay! <laughs> Cisco is wearing blonde cornrows and he's dressed like a vampire. And okay, I'm gonna stop here. Do y'all think Cisco is cute? I actually do. And he is also like a super amazing singer. He has like a really unique raspy quality to his voice. But in this show, Cisco is playing a character named Vladimir Kortinsky. He uses some coded language about how he flew in from the Transylvanian Turnpike. And Miles is like, oh, it's super cool that you're in character already. Y'all, for now, for this part of the show where we get introduced to Vladimir Kortinsky, I'm going to give Cisco some props, okay? Typically, when shows try to incorporate current artists into their TV shows, they either give them very minimal parts because they don't have experience acting, or they give them regular parts and the person performs poorly. <laughs> And for Cisco, I'm going to give him props for this particular scene because he did like a very good job acting, like shockingly. And because he did such a good job acting, I'm low-key mad that he didn't really pursue an acting career. In this particular scene, Cisco's Transylvanian accent is decent. And when he says the lines from the film during his audition, he's actually really convincing. In the show, Miles and Sabrina are enveloped by his performance and I low-key can't blame him. Like for that to be in like a college film with the type of conviction that Vladimir slash Cisco had was actually pretty good. Like I don't give props where they're not due. I think he did a great job in this scene. Also, I really enjoy seeing a black vampire, like personally. But anyways, he ends up getting the role and he leaves the house with this really kind of sinister laugh. So back at Scare Duty, the aunties are dressed in witch garb and they're really kind of half-assing it on teaching the kids how to scare. The kids aren't scared at all. And one of the kids even propels a spitball at Zelda. That's a nasty look. I don't mess around with spit. You spit on me, bets are off, okay? All bets are off, okay? You spit on me, you're going to get the New York Tiffany, what's her name? Tiffany Pollard. <laughs> you're going to get that treatment, okay? No spit, no spit balls. I don't like it. That's the grossest thing you can do to somebody. 
But next up, it's time for the housemates to rehearse for the film. So Miles has some sexist scenes that he wants to put in the movie, but he gets overruled by Sabrina, who ends up having to play cheerleader number two in the movie because they didn't cast anyone else. So Cisco shows up for rehearsal and it's time to rehearse the dinner scene where the cheerleaders carbo load before the big game. It's really interesting. I've only ever heard the term carbo loading from the office. If you know what episode I'm talking about, let me know. <laughs> I believe it's called the race, but I've never ever heard of that term before. And I low-key don't get it or understand what it is. But when Sabrina offers Vlad the garlic bread, he winces and hides his face under his cape. So Miles plays it off to say like, oh, he doesn't want to, you know, eat the garlic bread because he's preparing for the kissing scene that he's going to do later. And then Roxy gets a paper cut on her copy of the script. And Vlad is like super interested in seeing this paper clip, like seeing this blood. So Sabrina is becoming increasingly suspicious of Vlad. The next thing she does is like uses a mirror near him and he kind of slinks away from it. Sabrina, I guess, realizes that he does not have a reflection and she basically picks up on the fact that Vlad is actually like low-key a real vampire. And so she kind of throws the garlic bread at the others while she takes a break in her room to research this man, okay? So she goes to research him on the World Wide Web and she comes across his acting reel, which plays out like a hologram in her room. We learn that he is an actor from the other realm. He's also a voiceover artist that has done some commercials and he actually drinks human blood and is a legit vampire. So when Sabrina returns, Vlad is like super close to drinking Morgan's blood, but she interrupts them with more garlic bread, okay? So Sabrina takes Vlad outside to confront him. We find out there's an actor strike in the other realm, which is actually kind of funny. And she tries to zap him away. But unfortunately, it looks like vampires are immune to witchy powers. So this is the scene where Cisco's acting takes, I don't want to say a nosedive, but the quality is not really there in this time around. Cisco's accent or Transylvanian accent does not come across very well. There's a certain type of way you have to talk to have that type of accent. I can't do it. I'm pretty bad at accents actually, but he loses that quality that he had earlier in the show. And it just becomes a weird accent that it's like nobody talks like this. So <laughs> y'all not keeping your accent throughout a movie actually kind of really bothers me or throughout a show. And Cisco falls apart at this point when it comes to the accent. But we flip back to scare duty and Sabrina kind of zaps herself there to ask her aunt how to get rid of a vampire. And they're like, duh, stake through the heart. So Sabrina zaps herself back to the house with a stake in hand and Vlad, and she comes home to find a note stating that Vlad suggested that they film at the school now. So Sabrina has to find Vlad and take care of him before he eats or drinks any of her friends. So back at scare duty, aunts Hilda and Zelda are sucking at teaching these kids how to be scary. And these kids are bad AF. They magically, well, these are magical kids, but they must have conjured up some like tomatoes and eggs and paper to throw at these aunties and Salem. And they are like cowering behind the desk, not knowing how they're going to survive scare duty, let alone get off scare duty early so they can go be a part of this college film. 
eventually they kind of big each other's heads up and decide that they need to dig deep and scare the crap out of these kids. And so they become these fire breathing monsters and successfully scare all of the kids. And so I guess they figured out how to scare these kids. Here's the problem. If your job is to teach the kids how to scare, I feel like scaring them is not teaching. (laughs) Anyways, this must qualify and they end up not having to do scare duty ever again. Now back to Sabrina and her friends or whatever. Sabrina is looking all over the school to find them and Vlad is actually rehearsing with Morgan. So Sabrina decides to take Morgan's place as the head cheerleader just as Vlad is about to bite her. When he gets really close to Sabrina and about to suck her blood, Sabrina tries to stab him with the stake that she was hiding in her pom-poms and he smashes it. That was funny to me. But then they do this ridiculous fight scene, super ridiculous. The fake Sabrina does a bunch of different flips and tumbling like a cheerleader would do in her cheerleader costume. Uh, Vlad does this weird slow-mo bow-legged walk while he's looking for Sabrina around the school. (laughs) That's very funny. And then she uses an overhead lighting fixture to kick Vlad and then she throws herself into the door on accident. And that was very funny to me as well. It's freaking hilarious because fake Cisco ends up getting thrown around. Like (laughs) when I say fake, I mean these are stunt doubles. Then something weird happens and they start climbing climbing on the walls and going super slow-mo before engaging in like this hand-to-hand martial arts combat. It's really in like the vein of Matrix and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's kind of funny because shows like this take a lot from pop culture and what's happening in the moment. I don't know when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out. Let's see. Okay, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out in 2000, which would have been right around the time this episode came out. No, about a year or two before. And then, yeah, The Matrix came out in 1999. So within a year and a half or two years, those movies had come out and looked to have really influenced that scene in the movie, unless there's another one that came out around that time that I'm forgetting. But it's ridiculous and it's silly. And it's a little bit funny. And so when Sabrina finally gets the best of Cisco, she conjures up a ribeye steak and kills Vlad with it by putting it on his chest. So I guess it doesn't have to actually be a wooden steak. It can be like a a filet mignon. So anyways... Zilda and Hilda show up as the monsters and scare the crew, but then Sabrina kind of gets an idea of how they can help her finish this movie, even though Vlad, like Loki, doesn't exist anymore. She murdered him. So it appears that Vlad has returned. Zelda is still a monster and gets to participate in this film by being an extra. She just kind of walks across the screen as a monster and it's like, why? <laughs> it doesn't make sense at all. But at least she gets to be in the movie. And then we see Aunt Hilda has shapeshifted into Vlad so that they can get the final cut of the movie. So all is well. Vlad actually, or Vlad's image actually gets to be in the film. Nobody is worried about where he went, even though he is dead. Uh, You get a a black vampire on TV and you got to kill him. Sure. (laughs) But anyways... 
all is well. Nobody got bit. And now it's time for the housemates to sit down and actually watch the movie. This part is a little weird. The cheerleaders are doing like a music video and they're dancing and singing a song called Get Back Drack. It's a bad performance. It's a bad song. And the whole time they're just dancing around or cheerleading around a coffin. And every time the coffin opens so that Dracula can get out, they just close it. And I'm like, this isn't funny. I don't like it. (laughs) But it just came across as if Miles wanted the movie to still be sexy anyway. And cheerleaders being eaten by vampires is sexy. I don't know. I do have a problem with there being so many sex oriented things around horror. Like we low key don't need it, but whatever. So that's the end of this episode, y'all. I picked this episode because like I mentioned earlier, I actually remembered it from my childhood. I knew who Cisco was prior to this show and getting to see him in the show was actually pretty cool for me. We also get to see Sabrina as an adult. By this time she's in college, she is about 21 or 22. And we get to see her interact with her adult friends slash housemates. And like I said, this is my favorite guest star of the show. Are you kidding? It's Cisco. Yeah. yeah. Una dress so scandalous. Like that's iconic for me personally. Okay. So yeah. Also, yeah, I'm still mad. I'm still mad that Cisco didn't do more acting. He did a decent job in this, okay? But this particular episode still shows the intersection of her magical and mortal lives. It also shows that her aunts still have her back and that the formula of the show kind of really never changes, even though she is older now and she is in like a university setting and she's getting into the things that she likes to do, like, you know, producing a college film. Like, it just shows that being a witch at any age and living in the mortal world as well as being a witch is tough, especially when other magical creatures come into your world and try to suck your friends dry. So I thought it was pretty neat for me to talk about kind of like the origins of the show in season two and then also towards the later end of the show in season six. The show did only have seven seasons, so we kind of did the span of most of the show. So that's it for Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I mean, at the end of each review, I ask if the show or movie holds up today and if it's worth a rewatch. As far as it holding up, I feel like that's mostly a yes. It was nice to see the characters that I love. The storyline was pretty decent. The shenanigans were decent. And even though the episodes were only 22 minutes long, I feel like they packed a lot of information into each show. The story was well told and paced, interestingly enough, to get to 22 minutes. Overall, while rewatching, I was entertained, but not necessarily enthralled. There were not as many laughs as maybe I remember. The laughs came across as really cheap. And there were only some things where I was like, this is legitimately funny or legitimately silly. It just wasn't as funny as I remembered. But I always found that women-led stories where like the main character discovers a special trait or a special power or ability was really appealing to me as a child. Like that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with Princess Diaries, like waking up as a teenager and being like, I'm a princess. Like how cool is that? Waking up on your 16th birthday to find out you have magical powers. Like how cool is that? This gelled with my vibe back in the day. Okay. But now that I'm older, I feel like those types of storylines may have actually lost a little bit of their appeal. So for that reason, I low key don't know if it's worth a rewatch. Like I said, 
said, while I was reviewing these two episodes, the show really isn't as funny as I remember it. They use a laugh track instead of a live studio audience, which makes sense because they had to do so many kind of behind the scenes stuff. Like if you're doing a show that's full of magic, the audience is not going to be able to see the effects that you have to put in, or they're going to be able to see like how Salem works and he's an animatronic cat, right? So it makes sense that they didn't do the show in front of a live studio audience. But that also means that they had to insert the laugh tracks and it makes the laughs feel forced and like maybe they aren't always in the right place. The laughs feel a little bit cheap to me. So that kind of really took away from the experience. And I can't really tell if the show actually was never really that funny and I was just like a child, like because I was younger, or has humor overall, like what we think is funny in the real world, has it just changed over time? And Sabrina just doesn't really fit into that anymore. I don't know. I feel like I'm having a little bit of a hard time explaining it because on one hand, I'm saying, yes, the show holds up, like the story is good and that part holds up but that it's not worth a rewatch. I hope I'm doing an okay job at explaining why I'm saying yes on the holding up and no on the rewatch. <laughs> I actually tried to rewatch it just a few years ago and didn't make my way through it. And I think part of this is the reason why really. One thing I also want to point out that I didn't really realize until rewatching for this episode is that Melissa Joan Hart did not really evolve her acting skills over time. It's one thing to, you know, be portraying a 16 year old who has their own awkwardness or whatever, like in seasons one and two, and for it to feel like she is younger, she is in high school, and there's a certain level of like finding yourself that you have to do. But once she moved on to college in season six, it felt like her acting level kind of stayed the same. The subject matter changed, the setting changed, she was in college, but the level of her acting ability and the more sure of herself she should be at the age of 21 or 22 didn't come across for me. I don't know that Melissa Joan Hart had really evolved very much over time. And it's interesting because she low-key didn't have to. Like one of the fun facts was that her mom was a producer of the show. So if you have a job and your parents are not going to fire you, like how much do you have to grow in the process? I don't know. But I think because of the type of humor, the kind of lack of good acting, and the time period, Sabrina the Teenage Witch is actually one of those shows that you either have to really love to want to rewatch, or it's just one of those things where you had to be there. I don't know that if I showed this show to a child from Generation Z that they would actually be able or willing to continue watching it on their own. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Overall, the Rotten Tomatoes audience gave the series a 66%, and I feel like that's pretty accurate. I really enjoyed the show as a child, but it's going to have to remain a cherished memory from my childhood. I feel like it really doesn't translate well today, and that's okay. Some things just stay locked inside of a time capsule, and that's just fine. So let me know what you think about this show. Does it hold up for you? Did you rewatch it recently? Share your thoughts on our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks so much for listening to my review of Sabrina the Teenage Witch here at Sub Media Reviews. In the next episode, I'll be reviewing Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. Y'all, it's spooky season. Peace out. 
Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out, home slices.